All right, we're on. That's good. Thank you, Taylor Etheridge, for that. You almost almost had me break out an interpretive dance there for a minute. <laughs> Thanks, thankfully for all of us this morning, I didn't. So, well, uh, Todd and I are teaming up uh, during this Christmas season to talk about Christ, the Prophet, Priest, and King. And I drew the long straw, so. I'm going to be talking about Christ the King this morning, and, and that's been a tough journey. Uh, it's very difficult doing messages like these because there's, there, there's enough to be said to, to fill the earth, <laughs> and so trying to figure out what exactly you're going to say. Uh, so the qualification is, this is nowhere close to comprehensive. It's merely scratching the surface, but uh, by God's grace, it'll be edifying to us this morning. Um, it's a popular corrective to say, well, Christmas isn't about Santa Claus and presents. Uh, and something that's popular to say is, it's really about Jesus' birthday, which we're celebrating. And in fact, it's not really merely just Jesus' birthday that we're celebrating. It's actually the birth of a king that we're celebrating. And uh, while celebrating a birthday party demands little more than sentimentalize feelings uh, as you're with them. Uh, the birth of the Davidic king demands rejoicing and obedience to the gospel of the kingdom. A little bit bigger than just a birthday party. Um, and one of the things we're going to consider this morning is what does this good news of the kingdom actually mean? And in that we'll understand better who this king is who's come. I do want to go ahead and tell you, we're going to be looking at the story of Scripture, so kind of orient yourselves to that. You know, as I, I always go through these sermons with my wife, and finally she, it dawned on her, she goes, you're telling a story, and she reoriented herself to the rest of the time. I was like, I'm following you. Just keep going now. I just had to figure out you were telling a story, so I will be telling a story, so you can go ahead and reorient yourself to that right quick. Uh, well, in the first chapter of Matthew... Jesus' family tree provides a backstory to all the mounting expectation that leads up to the ascendancy of this Davidic king. So I know you're really excited. We're going to be looking at a genealogy this morning. But you know, I'll tell you this. In this backstory, we come to find that it's a story of hope and disappointment, a story of faithfulness and unrighteousness, a, faith, a story of love and of murder. So uh, it's a little juicy. Um, you might have heard of Handel's uh, Great Coronation Anthem. Uh, this has been the anthem for every English coronation since it was written in 1727. And the scriptures that go with it have been with every English coronation since the 900s. So uh, there's a long history here. And we're going to listen to the beginning of this coronation anthem. And I want you to notice the music. It starts off with kind of broken chords. And then there's a few little variations. And then it feels like it's going to grow and to swell into something really important. But then turns off again with broken chords and kind of goes this way and that. And, and then this minor key starts to come in and you start to get a sense of tragedy and you start to wonder if this thing is ever going to go to where it seems like it started. But then little by little, 
it starts to build again, it starts to mount, and, and, and you sense that it is going somewhere, and it grows, and the harmony works back to where it should be, and finally, it comes to the point of unbearable. And when it does, the whole thing explodes as the choir crashes in and proclaims, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, anointed Solomon king. So listen, listen and hear if you can hear the disheveled backstory that this music works as it works its way finally to the triumphant coronation of the king. follow? This is precisely the effect that Matthew's prologues intended to have on the reader whose ears are attuned to hear his music. And so the one that knows this story hears Abraham to David. Ah, we're getting somewhere. But wait, no, it seems to be going back to the arpeggios. We have Solomon, Rehoboam, Abiha. And then to our alarm, it goes into a minor key. Josiah, Jeconiah, and off they go to exile in Babylon, which, by the way, is a strange character in a genealogy. Wait, but here you hear it start to come back. The rhythm, the broken chords, and now, yes, building up at last. And do you hear it? 
Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Messiah, the anointed king of the Jews. We're a little disconnected from that story. It might not feel quite as triumphant as it does when the choir sings Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet crown Solomon king. Uh, we're pretty dissociated from that concept altogether. So one of the things we're going to be doing this morning is trying to work back and understand why this is such a pivotal event and why Matthew would follow this line in his whole gospel. Well, because at the end, what we want to do is this. We want to have our ears attuned to this core nation anthem that we might rejoice in Christ our King, who is indeed joy to all the world. That's our goal this morning. Well, we're going to begin at the end, so get ready for a journey. We're going to start at the very end, and then we're going to come back to the beginning, and then we're going to work out to where you are right now. Are you ready for that journey? All right, we're going to be moving fast, so be ready. Starting in Revelation. Sometimes the, the end is the best place to start because it tells where the story is heading. So if you look at, and all the scriptures are going to be up here, by the way, because you might be turning like crazy. We're going to be looking at Revelation 22, 1 through 5. As John describes the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, our great hope of salvation, the end of this story. So pay attention. Then he showed me a river, John says, of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and they will reign forever and ever. There's where the story ends. That's where it's all heading. Did you hear the points? Well, references to the throne of God certainly draws your attention to God's kingship, which is one of the major themes of Revelation. John's final vision reveals that uh, the, the new Jerusalem reinstates God's absolute authority over everything that exists upon the earth. And I know that might strike you as strange because he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Does he not sovereignly reign over all the earth? But you know, the biblical story seems to indicate that uh, God's sovereignty does not extend unchallenged into the earth currently. And you might be wondering how this is. Well, I want you to consider another question you might not have ever considered. Who is the they who will reign forever and ever? You know, our Sunday school answer wants us to go, Jesus and the Father. No, no. Follow those days all the way back to their referent. You know what you're going to find? It's the bondservants of God the King and His Son the Lamb who will reign forever and ever. Did that strike you as a little peculiar? It probably did. But in fact, this is supposed to be your hope. That you, along with all of God's people, will rule the earth. Paul understands this hope as the actual gospel. Listen to uh, Paul in Timothy 2, 8 through 12. Remember Jesus Christ, he says, and he's going to point out two things. He's going to follow the line. Risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. 
For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory, which is something that a king has. And then he says it's a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. You hear the same promise that we hear realized in Revelation? Here's his, here's his rationale. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, that you may obtain salvation. For if we died with him, we'll also live with him. We all know that gospel, right? Let's pack it up and go home. That's the gospel. Way to go. You preached it. Well, Paul actually includes something else in his gospel. Because this salvation is actually supposed to accomplish something. He says, remember Jesus Christ, descendant of David, that with salvation you may obtain eternal glory. For if we endure, we will also reign with him. How many gospel presentations have you heard that included the promise of the saints ruling in eternal glory and connected that with the Davidic kingship? Have you heard a lot of those gospel presentations? Maybe a gospel cube with Jesus, the Davidic king, that you open up and all his people reign forever? You probably haven't, is my guess. Um, but you know, the Corinthians heard this gospel. You guys have been in Corinthians. So tell me if you could hear something that maybe was an expectation of their hope that strikes us as weird. Do you remember when Paul said, and, and Todd had been preaching about it, uh, have you become kings without me? We're like, well, God, they're so arrogant, you know. They think they're going to be kings. Actually, Paul does too. They just don't understand. They're not playing that outright at this current time. But it, that is the hope of the gospel that Paul had preached to them. And it's what they fully expected. It's also why he later rebukes them. How can you allow the rulers of the world to rule between you? Y'all will inherit the reign over this earth. Can you not rule between one another? Do you hear his gospel and the expectation and the implications of that? Even now, Paul says, this is connected to Christ the King, this descendant of David. Today we're going to be talking about this gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel that Jesus was proclaiming that all the covenants promised and which the cosmic drama of Scripture describes. So if maybe you didn't hear that coronation anthem well, it might be because there's a deficiency in the way we understand what it means that Christ is the King. Well, so far we've hit a tuning fork to Revelation 22. And we've seen the throne of God and His kingship being reestablished through all the earth. And also the reign of his bondservants. And in Timothy, we also saw that maybe we're a little out of tune to this gospel of the kingdom of God that Paul and Jesus are proclaiming. And maybe that's keeping us from, from rightly hearing this coronation anthem that, that focuses on the son of David in Matthew 1. Well, we've seen the end where the story's heading. Let's now go, would that be back to the future? No, it's just back to the past. We're going to go back to the very beginning and see what God's intention was from the very beginning. So back to Genesis we go. Now understand what Genesis is. Genesis is the beginnings. That's what the word means. But really what it is is this. 
It's a story about the beginning that explains and gives meaning to the present. Do you get that? So this story about the very beginning explains the pre- our present situation and gives meaning to the reality we face on a daily basis. That's what Genesis does. All right? So in a lot of that, let's look at this story a little bit. In Genesis 1 through 2, and I'm going to summarize for the sake of time, and I know you'll be thankful, uh, Adam and Eve were appointed as viceroys. And what a viceroy is, is a ruler who exercises authority in a settlement on behalf of a sovereign. So in this case, humans are appointed by God as viceroys, and they're to rule the settlement of earth on his behalf, and it's seen in two distinctive ways. Number one, they're directly instructed by God to exercise rule over all the other creatures made by God, okay? So let's look at a verse real quick, and this is the only verse we'll look at because it really has everything in it that we need to have. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over all creatures on earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you hear how Revelation is the end of that commission? Well, this commission tells them to rule over all the creatures. But there's another something in there, too, that that you might not hear, and it's the second reason why we are to be seen as viceroys. And it's less obvious to us. The concept of the image of God, and in a modern society, we go, oh, the image of God, it's our rational capacity. Yeah, I didn't see that in the text. But I'm thinking the image of God is very much linked to this rule because They coincide with one another, and he repeats it over and over and over again with them. Well, in the ancient Near East, an image of God is actually linked to kings. The king was the living image of a god. And to be made in the image of God is to be given a kingly status. Well, that sure goes along with what the verse is saying. Um, Adam and Eve are also commanded this, though, and this goes with this image, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So, Uh, In an ancient Near Eastern background, uh, a ruler's image was to be set up in the distant parts of the kingdom. And that would show his sovereign reign unto those parts. And so Adam and Eve, as, as bearers of God's image, as his representative kings, they are to go and fill the earth. To rule over the earth and extend God's sovereignty to the very ends of the earth. Do you hear that commission? That was God's intention for man. And here's the thing. You hear all the God said and it was and it was good. God said and it was and it was good. All through chapter 1, right? Here's the principle. What God intends something to be is good when it fulfills that intention. So tell me this. Can it be good news unless the viceroys that God has commissioned to extend his sovereign reign in all the earth come to be that which he created them to be can they ever be good if they don't fulfill what God created them to be the answer is no does it make sense that this would be part of Paul's good news that this would be part of Jesus's good news of the kingdom because man 
would come to be what God intended him to be. His viceroys who ruled over the earth as he ruled over them. Because God in the end is a king of what? Kings. And I love that y'all wore your crowns this morning, by the way. Well done. So the good news of the gospel is going to have to align with the will and the intentions of the creator for his creation if it is truly to be good news. Do you follow that storyline so far? That's what's going to have to be accomplished. Well, let's get a little more background because there was a lot of uh, dissonant notes in that uh, coronation anthem. Well, enters Genesis 3. What in the world happened? Well, what happened was this, and I want you to think on these terms of this, of this plot line so far. The serpent, a creature, deceives the woman and the man, and they disobey God. Despite their royal status, despite their commission to rule over the creatures, Adam and Eve obey the serpent's instructions instead of God's. And by submitting to this creature, this serpent, they fail to exercise their God-given dominion over the earth and all its creatures. This is treason in two senses. One, they knowingly betray the Creator who has entrusted them with the authority to rule on the earth. Number two, they give allegiance to a creature that challenges God's authority and intends to overturn His ordering of creation, that which was good. So these ones through whom God was extending his sovereignty through all the earth sided with God's enemy instead. And by submitting to the serpent, they actually gave control over to him and they themselves became his subjects. You get that? That's the cosmic drama. That's the backdrop for which all the promises of the covenant and the coming of Jesus answers. How will people now exercise their God-given role to extend the sovereignty of God into all the earth when they serve the one who is opposed to Him? How can they do it? These are the questions of the God-centered gospel. How will God's kingdom be established throughout the world? First question. Because that's the point of all creation. Second question. How will human beings be rescued from the control of the enemy and be enabled to fulfill the purpose for which they were created? That which is good. These questions precede and define the answer of the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. This is what our king will accomplish for us. Well, the story comes to reveal a couple of types of uh, kingship. And because you are called to be a priest of kings, as we shall see, you should always be looking at yourself in light of this storyline, okay? So here's one type, the corrupted human kingship. It's about to taking possession of the earth for oneself through the power of the world. Stated another way, 
It's about pursuing your life by making and following your well-devised plans to get all you desire. This one's prayers will be dominated by the presenting of their own plans and agendas to God and saying, oh, bless my plans, Lord. My kingdom come. My will be done. And let me go to heaven too. That's the perspective of these corrupted human kings. Now, a divinely instituted kingship looks a whole lot different. And this one might sound familiar. It seeks to reestablish God's sovereignty through all the earth by submitting to Him in obedience and looking to Him to provide for the future, against all odds even. This one's prayer would sound more like this. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. You hear the difference? Very different. Well, these two types of people comprise all of humanity, and so the conflict ensues, and it continues. And the kingdom plays out in these broken chords, in these disheveled notes, in these minor keys and crescendos of anticipation as we lead to the coronation anthem of our King Jesus. You got the backdrop? You've seen what's happened in the beginning. The plot has been set, and you know where it's going to be in the end. How will God's kingdom be established through the world? How will human beings be rescued from the control of the enemy and be enabled to fulfill the purpose for which they were created? Those are the questions the good news has to answer. Not how can I get to heaven? It does answer that question. But only as part of the primary question that the good news answers. Well, we should now look at the promise of God in this genealogy. And we'll find that it points squarely to the son of David. Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the king of you kings. A close relationship exists between God's kingdom and his covenant. And that's why these names are mentioned here. The divine covenants are the means. They're the the way that God's rule is going to be established through his people, his viceroys, mediated to all the world. And you'll hear that promise continually as we recite these covenants. The two primary covenants that reveals God's unfolding plan up to Jesus are the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. And this is why Matthew highlights these. Um, he answers, these are the, are the answer, Jesus, this Messiah, is the answer to these promises God gives. Because you'll notice, there it is. There's a summary statement about all this, and you'll notice this genealogy is broken up, and it goes like this. From Abraham to David, from David to that strange character again, Babylonian captivity, uh, and from Babylonian captivity to Jesus. Now, that might seem strange as a genealogy because deportation to Babylon actually isn't a person. Uh, But here's the thing. Matthew's point is this gospel of the kingdom And so that deportation to Babylon is significant. Well, we're going to start in Abraham. Yes, we are. 
So how will God's kingdom be established throughout the world? How will human beings be rescued from the control of the enemy and be enabled to fulfill the purpose which they were created? What we come to find is this. It's through Abraham's seed that this will happen. Listen to Genesis 12. Go forth. A commission here to Abraham. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Sounds like creation all over again. And make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. Which, by the way, this isn't like, and you might come to be a blessing. It's actually a command. What he's saying is, is this. I will bless you and you will mediate my blessing. Just as a ruler does to his people who has the position to give blessing. And he says, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. So God will deliver him from his enemies. And in all the families of the earth will be blessed through this Abrahamic seed. So until God's sovereignty, until his blessing is extended to the far reaches of the earth. Do you hear the gospel of the kingdom? Everything that was commissioned to man in the beginning is now being promised through this seed of Abraham. Who's the man that will do it? The seed of Abraham. That's the one. And again in Genesis 22, he repeats it. I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You hear it once again. It's the point. Well, notice the similarities of God's kingdom agenda of being blessed by God, filling the earth, and being a blessing as God is, as priest kings. Now, you might be thinking, uh, Jason, I, I didn't actually see priest king in there. Uh, so, uh, not sure what you're talking about. Well, in Exodus, we come to see more explicitly what God's intention is for Israel, who is Abraham's seed. So, if we look at Exodus 19, 3 through 6, it says this, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, here's the deliverance from their enemies, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, here it comes, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, there's, there, we're lost in translation a little bit here. When it says kingdom of priests in this translation, you often think we're, we're a nation of priests, right? Not really what that Hebrew denotes. What it actually denotes is this. You will be a body of priests ruling as kings. It's in line with the divine mandate back in Genesis. This is the intent. So the, at the heart of God's plans for Israel, all right, is this. They will become priest-kings. They're to fulfill the role that God had originally allocated to humankind to extend his sovereign reign through all the earth. Are you following the storyline? That's the Abrahamic pro promise, all right? Unfortunately, the cosmic warfare continues. The followers of the serpent are continually seeking to overthrow God's sovereignty through his people. But we do come to find this, that it's going to be through mankind that God establishes kingdom on earth. Because his intentions have always been that humanity would rule on earth. 
This is in keeping with his intent and his purposes for creation. This is also what makes the, this gospel good news, okay? Now, I don't know if you feel the tension, but here's what it is. Man in his fallen state is inadequate to accomplish this purpose. And yet it's man who must accomplish it because God has assigned it to him. But we come to see that only God can deliver his people. How will a man do it who's sinful and who rules under Satan's rule when God is the only one that has the power to do it? Do you feel the tension there? How will God accomplish this purpose? How will God rescue... Here's here's the question restated. How will God rescue men from their sin in order that they might extend his reign into all the earth. It wasn't just how does God deliver man from sin so they can live their life and go to heaven. That actually was not the question at all. It was this. How can God deliver man from sin so they can fulfill the purposes of God in all the earth? Are you following? This is the good news of the kingdom. Well, Let's go to this king. Let's go to King David. We'll hit... Israel's history continues, and it's a rocky history at best. It looks pretty doubtful that this might ever come about. And it leads up to this second king of Israel, though they've had some high points. But this one, this second king of Israel, very different from the first king, is one of God's own choosing, a man after God's own heart, King David. Sounds so promising. And he actually exercises this divinely instituted kingship. Actually, 1 Kings 15.5 says this, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, who had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Um, So he has a little bit of the uh, human corrupted kingship in him too, and he takes for himself that which isn't his. Now God has an interesting way of not only working through man, but despite him, And the promise actually comes through the unlawful offspring of Bathsheba and the murderer David, the man after God's own heart. Well, let's see if this plot continues as we look at the Davidic covenant. Now, we've looked at the Abrahamic. We're going to look at the Davidic. 1 Chronicles 17, 7 through 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and see if you can hear the Abrahamic covenant revisited here. I took you, David, to be leader over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone and cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a name like the name of the great ones who are in the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, kings and priests, and I will subdue all your enemies. Sounds a lot like the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't it? Well, here it's fixing to get much more specific, so follow. 1 Chronicles 17, 11 through 14, continuing. He says, moreover, and this is the greater clarification of the Davidic covenant, I tell you, David, that the Lord will build a dynasty for you. When your days are fulfilled, that you must go to be with your fathers, I will set up one of your descendants after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. This is a pretty unique guy. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, God says. And I will not take my loving kindness away from him, but I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. 
sound like the gospel of the kingdom of God? Because it is. That was the promise of God to accomplish this. And it's going to be through this one, this seed of Abraham. That's why Abraham's in the genealogy. But we come to find out it's also going to be a son of David, the king. And this human, this human who will also be a son of God, will reign. He will be the one to extend God's sovereignty through all the earth. The human. He will rescue humans from their sin so that they can again obey God and fulfill their divine mandate. Well, things are looking pretty good. We got a big promise here. But then all of a sudden we get this strange character in this genealogy again. And uh, we get deported to Babylon. And I know that's a strange picture, but trust me here, okay? This comes in the minor key. So here's the deal. If through this seed of Abraham, follow the argument, if through this son of David, God was going to raise up his people to extend his sovereign reign through all the earth, how's that going to happen when the satanic nations of the earth both rule over Abraham's seed and David's sons? Do you see the minor key? How in the, it looks like we're moving backwards. We're not moving forward. How in the world is this going to happen? And I just, I want you to just catch this right now because Jesus plays this whole thing out in his life here in just a minute. This does not look like the way to take a kingdom, does it? They're in exile in Babylon. Well, if I were to ask you about Daniel, what do you think I'd hear? You know, Daniel, the lion's den, right? And he believed God, and he was delivered from the lion's den, right? Here, there's probably a verse that goes with it. Oh, no, go back right quick. I didn't put that one on there. Okay, here's the verse. Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury was found on him because he had trusted in his God, and we go into the gospel. And if you will trust in God too, you will be delivered, which, by the way, is so true. There's, there's not one lie in that whatsoever. It's absolutely true, but... As Mark always says, hey, keep reading right quick. There, just wait, there's something else coming. It, read the rest of that. And, and so uh, uh, see if you can hear the gospel of the kingdom here because th that's the gospel we've all believed in. It's a true gospel, but there's more. It, it's the wait. There's more. Daniel 6, 26 through 27 says this. Listen to the confession. I, King Darius of Babylon... Make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of who? Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lion? What was the point of Daniel being delivered from the power of the lions? The gospel of the kingdom. That God's sovereign reign would extend to all the earth. Here you have the king of Babylon professing the sovereign reign of God over all the earth. Do you hear that gospel? It's very clear. 
I want to point out that Daniel also exhibited this divinely instituted kingship. This is the way he does it. He seeks to establish God's sovereignty in all the world. By doing this, it's very unlikely. This is what he does. By just submitting to God in obedience and looking to him to provide for him. So does it look like Daniel is going to establish the sovereignty of God when he goes into a lion's den? Does it look like, wow, this looks like the triumphant working of a king? Watch this. What, him get eaten? No, watch God deliver him. And watch the kings of the earth take notice and profess that the king of Daniel rules over all. God accomplishes this. And yet he's accomplishing it through a man. Well, then we get this vision. It starts to change over here in Daniel. This vision. And just as in the lion's den, there's a king who comes to take the throne. And you have Daniel talk about all these four monsters, right? And they're coming in. You know what they're doing? They are, these monsters, by the way, are the nations of the world, Satan's world. And they're coming in on the people of God, and they're overpowering them. Sound like the divine drama so far? Because it is. And then all of a sudden he has a vision. Just like in the lion's den, Satan and all of, all of the nations of the world are coming in on this king, on this one, just as the lions were on Daniel. And all of a sudden, this king comes and takes his throne. Out of the lion's den, he takes his throne. It's a human figure, one like the Son of Man, who represents the people of God. And he's lifted up and seated next to the king the Ancient of Days. This is the human figure, the one like a son of man who's given a kingdom that will last forever. Listen to D Daniel 7, 27. So this was the vision of Christ coming on the clouds, and this is what it says. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to who? The people of the saints of the highest one, Jesus. Who's that? You kings and priests his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him that's Daniel's good news of the kingdom that when all the forces of Satan and the world come in upon this one this seed of Abraham this son of David when they all encroach upon him he's going to rise up victorious just as Daniel rose up victorious out of the lion's den from the grave he came and God's sovereignty would be extended through all the earth. Do you hear the gospel? It's there. It's very much there. Well, here's the conclusion, and I have just, just enough time. Because if you followed this story so far, when you get to Matthew, your ear has been attuned to this gospel of the kingdom. And you'll go, there it is. This is the king. This is the seed of Abraham. This is the son of David. This is the one who will deliver God's people from sin and from exile under the reign of Satan and the nations while they're deported to Babylon and will rise up victorious to rule and extend God's sovereignty through all the earth. 
and we will reign with him forever. See, the one that knows this backstory hears that story through this genealogy. And then he follows the rest of Matthew. And I'm going to hit a couple of spots in Matthew right quick before we get to the very last point, which brings us up to where we are. Now, you might remember this. Satan's forces are closing in around the people of God, Jesus and his disciples. And there's a lot of conjecture about who Jesus is, right? He doesn't look like the king they expected. They thought someone would come and be triumphant and slay everybody. But you remember Daniel in the lion's den, right? God doesn't really establish his kingdom quite like that. So they're a little confused. What's going on? And so Jesus always asks the best questions. Uh, he says, who do they say I am? And they go through all this line of who Jesus is. And then Jesus turns and says, but you, and let me tell you, he's asking you. But you, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter, this great man of faith that he is, he says this. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. You're the one who will deliver your people from Satan. You're the one who will extend God's sovereign reign over all the earth. You are the Son of David, the Son of God, the one whose reign will last forever is his confession. They got the first part of the genealogy, didn't they? Well, guess what? They don't get the second part. We often don't either. Neither did the Corinthians. Because they were seeking to take their rule on the earth, just like the kings of the earth. But that's not how God's rule is established. Listen, and, and, and so, listen to what happens here. From that time, see, Jesus switches over right quick because you know what? He moves on to the second part, to the deportation in Babylon. This is what he says. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and be raised up the third day. Peter said, this great man of faith, God forbid it, Lord. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. That same thing that moves us that same thing that moves us. Oh, gotcha. Okay. That same thing that moves us to want to say, no, surely I don't give my life is just what moved uh, Peter to say, oh, you shouldn't go. And that's this, that we're concerned about man's interests and not God's. And so we come all the way to Matthew 28 this great commission, it might mean more this time to you. Read it with me real quick. All authority, Jesus says, has been given to me in heaven on earth. He's the king. Therefore, go. Abraham, go forth. Go. Adam, Eve, go. 
make disciples of all nations, fill the earth, baptizing them according to the authority, which is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bring in citizens of this kingdom to live under the reign of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Do you hear the kingdom? Teaching them to observe all I've commanded because remember Adam disobeyed and remember you can't rule as God's viceroy and disobey the king of kings. And so be sure that you obey all that he commands and we have this great promise that Emmanuel is with us always for God will accomplish it even to the end of the day. good news of the king, the descendant of David, who you will one day reign with. Celebrate him this Christmas, not in a birthday celebration, but as the king he is, rejoicing in his benevolent, loving, blessing rule over, over you and as it comes over all the earth and align yourself to his purposes and be the priest kings God intended for you from the beginning. And you too now, by the power of God, very God that dwells in you, the Holy Spirit, according to the gospel of Christ, go into all the world and extend His reign through all the earth forever. Amen. You're just